We have pressed play. It's time to get into it. Welcome back to Faking Injuries, another podcast about European football from the vantage point of two dumb Americans whose football experience doesn't go past eighth grade. So welcome back. We like to comment on the players, the characters, and player hand at being the shitty sporting directors that you're glad aren't running your club. So you are welcome. Instead, we'll just be covering storylines we loved, touching in on Europa League, this week's Premier League games and all the fun stories that happened in between. It's time for this episode's legal disclaimer. Please remember that these do not represent our views. We're very nice people. Despite the foul things that might come out of our mouth at times, this is parody and we are unsuable by all laws globally. And just to clarify, this goes for our Twitter as well, at the Premier League, at anything else that we've been sending off some fiery tweets. We're not suable, so don't even mind us. Let's do our thing. Don't mind us. We're just the outsiders firing off hopefully some great memes, but maybe some great transfer ideas too, all right? Kind of the the two-pronged troll. I think it's a good time to start with some cleanup from last week because there's a few things we missed. A few apologies, maybe, we want to say because we've gone hard on some people. Like we said, we're good guys, and we don't want to make a habit of just shitting on players and not ever offering anything positive. So, We should also say that we're glad no one cares enough about what we do to have them judging our job on a daily basis at this level of scrutiny because the things would be even worse, okay? So we're just setting the groundwork. We're going to make fun of people, we're going to make fun of ourselves, and we're all going to be better for it. Absolutely. So... Should we start with Dan James a little? I mean, we go very hard on him, and I feel like we owe him a slight apology, but we do, we do hate him domestically. You know, we really hate watching him in the Premier League. We do. It's a travesty turning on the television early Saturday morning, watching a rampant, high-flying Leeds team, but then it's Dan James. Never seems to be end product. We always shit on him, but that's not to say we don't respect the man, because when it comes to playing for your home country. There's no international that I love more than Dan James. He's got that dragon representing the Welsh nation on their back. They're speaking different languages. Their chants are probably so much better than the American outlaws. So off the top, Dan James, you deserve this week's first apology. And we look forward to supporting you more in the Welsh jersey, not so much in the weeds kit. We've got one more apology. Where are we sending this letter in the mail. I think we need to direct this apology to the feline world, more specifically Kurt Zuma's cat. I think we we need to apologize for cracking some jokes in poor taste during our January transfer special. We just want to say specifically to Kurt Zuma's cat, not to Zuma. The cat, you are a majestic, beautiful kitty that we will never make fun of again in the future. And we would like to apologize for, you know, using you as a quick laugh. As far as I'm concerned, there's Harambe, number one, and then there's Zuma's cat. Zuma's cat deserves t-shirts, other commemoration. I'm not quite sure, but maybe this is how West Ham gets past the PR disaster that they've had. They turn the cat into a meme? (laughs) No, they turn the cat into a symbol of unity somehow. I'm not quite sure how they tie up those loose strings. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great idea. But what if the yeah? What if the cat comes out against like some other social issues? So even in its plight at the helm of Kurt Zuma's right foot, 
it can still be selfless enough to deflect to other more important social issues. I don't know, like whether it's Marcus Rashford's program or generally just anti-racism, I think the cat could be like a symbol of hope. I agree. It's almost like in the Hunger Games, the uh, Mockingjay was like the symbol of hope. We can just have (laughs) Kurt Zuma's feline being the symbol of hope for all social issues we were trying to address. Yeah, we need a little chant for the cat. Like if it does a certain meow that everyone knows and then throws up like three paws for. I love it. And I think this does lead perfectly into your storyline of the week, which I believe revolves around a similar topic. It does. Zuma's kitty was at the front of our minds and it was at the front of the Newcastle supporters' minds. So these guys have been... In the news, right when the takeover happened from the Saudis, there was a handful of them who were coming up in um, Muslim headgarb. I'm, I'm not too aware of the details, but something that was like, okay, what are these rural Newcastle folk doing <laughs> in this attire? Something didn't fit. So like a lot of the social organizations came out and were like really anti against it. But of course the Saudis don't exactly have the best image in the world's limelight. So they use that as an opportunity to say, Hey, it doesn't bother us. You know, fast forward to this week, they brought some other things to the stadium with them to commemorate West Ham versus Newcastle United. I don't know if they thought it was summertime, but they brought inflatable cat rafts (laughs) that they probably threw around like chugged beers on not quite sure, but you know they were in the back of his mind. Zuma always does uh, like a 360 before the game starts, just kind of knowing where the exit is if shit goes down. He saw those cats, I like to think. You had something extra on this? Yeah, I heard uh, Craig Dawson got mad at Chris Wood at one point in the game because apparently Chris Wood was constantly meowing at Zuma throughout the game. You know, he started the game after this horrible incident. Kind of a shocker, but... He just starts meowing at him the entire game. And that's what you love to see out of your newly signed striker, right? He's getting in, he's doing the dirty work, he's getting his meows in. So I thought that was a hilarious aspect of it as well. If you're not getting goals, you need to be putting in shifts on the meow front. That throws me back to like high school JV <laughs> athletics, you know, really trying to just be a defensive pest on whoever you're guarding. So yeah, it's not happening on the goal front maybe for Chris Wood, but... Love to see Chris Wood doing everything he can to give Newcastle a lift. And thinking about it more, Chris Wood doesn't pop physically. He's a finisher, but what does he really do? There's probably a lot of this that has led to his success and rising up, leaving New Zealand through the championship. He's probably a master of these dark arts. And I like to think he had this circled like 30 minutes after the news broke. He knew they were coming up on the calendar, might be lined up against Zuma. He probably did many revisions and decided the best thing is just to keep meowing. No eye contact, just meows. He's got a notebook in his locker room of like how to become the best instigator. And he was writing out jokes for hours about how to make fun of Zuma. And I think the meowing was the best strategy you could have gone for, honestly. So thank you to Chris Wood and... Kurt Zuma's cat for being so strong throughout all of this and giving us so much content. But let's get to your storyline. What did you love this week? The storyline I loved from this week was the Premier League title race being back on. To the surprise of everyone, Antonio Conte's struggling Tottenham beat Man City to end their undefeated run since mid-October. Harry Kane seemed to be back at his best, scoring goals, 
and enjoying playing alongside Son and Kulisevsky, who, you know, new signing Dejan Kulisevsky had a goal and assist, really was at the center of this attack to beat Man City. And Son, of course, was just in his typical self, contributing with two assists. It was a great game, but more importantly, now I feel like this is a two-way title race because there's six points that separate Man City and Liverpool. Liverpool have a game in hand. If they win it, yes, they're down to three points, and the title race is back on. This is all we needed. Hopefully, Man City can get another loss or a tough result, maybe a draw somewhere in the future, and we could see this going on the wire, which I know is what we would love to see. Liverpool, too, are looking really strong. They've won their last five games in the league and have looked incredible in the Champions League. So I'm honestly going to back them to narrow the gap and potentially take over this title race. I think it's doable. And I know you're a plastic fan of Liverpool, so I'm sure this is exciting you as well. It is exciting. Man City always hits the second gear a quarter, a third into the season, and they go on their shit-pumping rows. Yeah. It seemed like they had really hit their stride and already won the damn thing but teams like Tottenham perennial losers being able to nick some points off of Man City in the American Liverpool fan base so I'm happy I'm happy more generally just for the competitiveness of the league because it's no fun when you already know who's winning the league in March agreed me too and I'm happy that you're happy to be honest that that, that warms my heart I'm more concerned with Brighton <laughs> pushing up the table because as an American, right, you don't just have one fan. I like I I try to have one team that I love in each league, but I'm really having tough nights sleeping. Like, do I need to break up with Liverpool officially? Like, this new girl, Brighton, is so hot and sexy. I think we're more aligned on values. She's young. She likes to gamble. <laughs> she likes to gamble. She's only a seven, you know, and I'm only a seven. So it works out perfectly, but I still just can't bring myself to tell Liverpool what's really going on in my heart. I understand. Just to wrap up our storylines we love from this week, let's be honest here. These are the best two teams in Europe, Man City and Liverpool right now. We want to see them go down to the last couple match weeks and have a true title race that we haven't seen in over half a decade. Is it possible longer? they could play each other in the Champions League? I, I, forget it, the, I forget how the bracket is. I think it's possible they can play in the semifinal. I don't know about the true final. That would be That would amazing. be unbelievable. Could you imagine? So I think that wraps it up. Let's move on to game recaps. Oi! We want to dive a little bit deeper into the Tottenham Man City game. The 3-2 to two. smash and grab? Smash and grab. Smash and grab. Who's back of the week? The title would race. Obviously, as we just mentioned, you know, big game for Harry Kane, of course. Scored two. Could have had a third if it wasn't ruled out. Dejan Kulisevsky, best game in a Tottenham shirt so far. I'm calling him the ugly Swedish meatball. The Ikea boy. The Ikea meatball. And I think he has more potential than I initially thought when he came. He looks good, man. I like him. He he brings another element of quality that this Spurs front line has probably been lacking. Like, they always try to get someone, but they just don't fit. Whether it's Bergvine, couldn't even get Triore in the door. It's Harry Kane, Hyunmin Sun, and a drop-off behind. So, bringing someone that can kind of match their energy. It's all about gaining the trust of Kane and Son. Because as this game demonstrated once again, they are one person. They're a cybernetic organism, conjoined at the mind, reading each other, trusting each other. They're bros from other 
transcontinental hose, England, Korea, same father. <laughs> Will you rescue me from this? Yes. No, I think they play awesome together. And, they, and he's the right age profile of a guy you want to slot in there. And if, you know, Kane and Son can trust him to have a quick feat, which he does, and be smart with his decision-making, which I think he proved in this game he was. It's nice to have someone when either of these guys tears an ACL or leaves because Man City wants them for a shit ton of money. And you know you don't trust your recruitment in two years because... You definitely don't trust Paratici to do a great job. No. So, do you have any other takeaways from this game? Because, I mean, obviously, incredible comeback. Great game from Tottenham. I love Tottenham packing the fucking bus like Jose Mourinho is at the helm. It doesn't take much of an on-quest from Man City for them to be like, all right, boys, five at the back. Let's go. Tuck in. Fall in line. When Pierre-Emile Hoiberg is your third most advanced player up the pitch, that's never a great sign. No, definitely not. I love that you said uh, packing the bus instead of parking the bus, because I think there's a distinct difference <laughs> between the two. You know, when, you're, when you're packing it, not only are you parking the bus, but you're also packing it in. So it's like a tight bus that's sitting. There's you know? an added element of organization when you pack the bus, because you can park a bus that looks like it's just a fraternity house inside, but it's another thing to park it, pack it, kind of consider Marie Kondo levels of organization throughout that bus. It's the small minute details that go into turning around Tottenham. I wanted to shout out just real quick. Actually, it's not really a shout out. It's more I'm just going to slander their name. But NBC, their highlights were, were trash. Like, can we talk about this? It was an abomination before the U.S. sports world. They didn't even show the third goal, right? I watched, what was it, eight games maybe in the morning? I watched all of them back to back to back. It was obvious from texting with you that the Man City game was crazy. So we sat down, watched it. Crazy how Man City got the penalty. And then the next highlight after the penalty is just Tottenham running out the clock. And it's like, wait, something changed and Tottenham <laughs> got another goal. How could we possibly be missing the most important you know, the thing that if you only had to show one clip from this game, you would show. That would be the Twitter clip on, like, the Premier League page or Tottenham's page, of course. And it's no surprise because these are the people who have brought us Peacock, the app which multiple times, trying to watch the Olympics, trying to watch football in the morning, just doesn't work. Everything else on my Amazon TV works. I get into Peacock and I wonder if I've been hacked because nothing works. I can't click out. Everything just doesn't work. So maybe if we ever get this podcast off the ground, we can donate some money, give them some much-needed resources in the IT department because shit is just not happening there. Lack of focus, I think. They need to pack the bus. They need to develop the interface on the cock because it's just not there yet. <laughs> Last point on this. I just want to shout out CBS Sports for how well they do their highlights and how quickly they release them after the Champions League. They release these quicker than my dad left, and I absolutely love it. It's instant. Game's over. Ten minutes later, I'm watching the highlights to see the goals I loved. They don't have a Rebecca Lowe, and it's an arduous effort with these Europa League games, ECL games as well, because they try to cover all of them, and it's not like they can have halftime analysts, the overhead for each individual game. They sacrifice on the halftime analysis front, for sure. It's just like the same three shots at halftime if there was one highlight hell there could be three goals but they just choose one of them 
and show it from every different angle. There's only five, but you see it 15 times. So you get different value propositions from each of these providers. And we'll be here to give you the feedback that you deserve. I think we're just hoping for more and more investment into all of them because we want to see the best highlights, the best packages, the best announcers. And a lot of these apps just don't have it yet. See, we do, but we also want the cost to go down. So that is some cognitive dissonance that we're going to have to work out. We want more investment for less return. I would rather just pay a lump sum, like a K a year, to just get top access to everything I could possibly want. I don't want to switch apps. I don't want to do all that shit. I just want NBC everything. I want football finance to permeate even to the end user. Like, why can't we negotiate kind of the equivalent of a sell-on fee in a transfer, but can I offer just 1% of my earnings on a net basis, of course, to NBC, okay? So I know if I become a bum, I still get football. If I do well, hey, it's only 1%. God, as I think about this, if they don't have the IT resources, they definitely don't have the cash flow models to back it up. I think that's a good place to stop ranting about the best game of the week and how excited we are that the tell race is back on now. Let's keep these PL recaps moving. Try to do them concisely. Three things where possible. Brighton Burnley. In the slate of all of the 9 a.m. games, this one probably didn't stand out to a lot of people. But for us, it did. So there's only really one place we can go to with this game. And that is the really violent, I would say, incident. That transgressed between him and Eric Peters. It happened quickly. Change of possession. Mope and Eric Peters were going at it. Mope pulled one of those things where he tried to like fool the referee and grab the defender, but in a way that made it look like he was the one. A classic false flag operation. So he grabbed Peters first, kind of wrestled him down, but it was the finish that really left viewers like us concerned for what we had just seen. Mope deliberately gets four fingers and is shoving them up the direction, like in Eric Peters' backside, like he's trying to get to his intestines. It was violent, disgusting. There should have been a PSA for the young viewers watching, um, I watched it again with my girlfriend's father, and he said, damn, that guy got a finger full of chocolate. By my estimation on second review, he got four fingers full of chocolate. This ticked all the boxes for a clear and dangerous foul, endangering the safety of an opponent. Is there anything in the rule book for these situations? I can't imagine there is, but we want to get to the bottom of this because we have to set a precedent for butthole violations going forward. How are we going to judge these? This is the prime example that we will all refer back to. So I tweeted at Arlo White. I'm hoping he can get us some answers. I also added the Premier League. We just want to find out what's the ruling on this because to me, it looked like it could have been a red and nothing even close to it. So It's like being on a new job where you're not sure what the true answer is, but you can sometimes sense that something is important. So. We're trying to escalate this matter to the high-ranking officials and people that can give us answers because Eric Peters, I don't know if there's a civil suit he might launch or what other remedies he possesses, but I mean, I hate to think about it, but this could have been me or you in rec league football. So I don't wish this upon my worst enemy. In my mind, if we went to VAR here, I think Knuckles D. (laughs) (laughs) 
Like, yeah, talk about the threshold. Talk about the threshold. Okay, go, go, go. Like, we need to get this on the docket in the summer to determine what the threshold is. Yes, absolutely. Maybe we don't get answers immediately, but this has to be put at the top of the docket for, like, the Referees Association. I'm sure they do something like that with the Premier League, but we need a defined threshold for kind of how far the finger goes into the opponent's rear. Yeah, for me, I think knuckles deep. Try to get this out because the fans deserve it. Okay. Let me take a glass of some water. This is pretty much harder to get out than I thought it would. <laughs> That's what Neil Pope said. Oh, God. Maybe oh. the only remedy is that Eric Peters deserves to give one backsies because with that type of violent behavior, maybe we need to take it back to Hammurabi's code. An eye for an eye, yeah. a butt for a butt. Agreed. And to me, I would have loved to see that. <laughs> <laughs> take it back to the VAR. Oh, my God. <laughs> you can't laugh <laughs> before I say it. Oh. Three deep breaths, go. For me, I think if there's a VAR. <laughs> I'm sorry. How am I expected to do it? Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh, God, it hurts. Tell them about the rule. How many knuckles deep? (laughs) (laughs) For me, from a VAR ruling perspective, I think knuckles deep should be a red. If you get a couple centimeters in, it can be overlooked. But I think if you're full full knuckles deep in someone... (laughs) I think if you're full knuckles deep in someone's <laughs> ass. <laughs> one second. So one knuckle, where does that leave you? I think you need to be at least a couple knuckles. At least two knuckles deep. That's my ruling. Well, yeah, certainly with incidents like this and the news waves that happen, we'll forget about this soon, but... <laughs> We promise you, listeners, that we will not stop until we get a verdict on this. Yeah, we need some arbitration from the refs on this because we need to understand what qualifies as a butthole violation and what doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) We make this promise solemnly to you, listeners, that we will get to the bottom of this. Arlo White, the Premier League, 
Michael Oliver, Mike Dean, that one Dutch German guy that's on ESPN sometimes. We will not stop exploring this topic until we get to the bottom of it. Anything from this game besides the Mopay Peters horrible incident that we just discussed? It's hard to look past that, but the most obvious thing is Wout Veghorst finally getting his goal in the Premier League for Burnley. Also chipped in with an assist. The link-up play was great. He really was Sean Deitch's wet dream. Did one of those celebrations where he got hurt on it. Always a bad look. I'm sure Alan Pace, the chairman of AOK Capital, who launched the takeover of the unlikely candidates, really, Burnley last season, he can't be happy with the celebrations of his only players he's bringing in, right? If he's only bringing in two players for a lot of money for Burnley, they got to be doing everything they can to not get injured. Sure, there's a lot of contract clauses there. Yeah, I think they need to input a knee slide clause if there isn't one already in there. If you get injured on a knee slide, you almost owe Burnley a million dollars for just potentially ruining their season and getting relegated. Knee slide injuries can probably be looked past if the damage is only a few months, your league position wasn't really affected, but if this matter is taken before a jury and people reasonably believe that your knee slide injury contributed directly to your team's relegation, there's got to be something in there where it says you better have organized your life as an LLC, otherwise we're taking everything. Like, you don't have a house anymore. Completely agreed. So... The last point I want to bring up on this shocking 3 nothing loss for Brighton to Burnley was I hit one of those points in my betting sports book. I was using DraftKings. I had about 50 bucks left because I've been blowing it this soccer season. And it was one of those last gambles. I was like, let's throw all of our money on Brighton to win this easy game and hopefully do a quick double of my money and then I can throw 50 bets. I mean, Burnley hasn't won a game away from Turf Moor this season, so it looked like an immortal lock. It looked like a lock, and of course, I threw my whole balance on it, and then I lost all my money, and now my account is empty, and I need to start a new one. I'm a little annoyed, so, you know, Brighton, thanks for losing me money, you motherfuckers. My sportsbook account is now at zero. I will be Venmo requesting you, Grand Potter. So, be on the lookout for that. Have we officially sent that tweet yet? Because I'm not sure if that's in the public domain, Graham Potter's Venmo, but maybe we'll track it down. I mean, we can just kind of parlay that with the butthole incident. Yes, yeah. We'll we'll piggyback off that, and I'll I'll, I'll shoot him the Venmo request, and I'll add him on Twitter if he has one of those. Probably should just loop in the Brighton PR department at this point. Like, they need to be CC'd on this email, just so they're aware. I think their fans association should also get a CC. So we'll get everyone at the club involved and really try to fix the situation. Yeah, I mean, we... I'm sure we haven't been scouring social media on the topic, but if we were to, I imagine there's the biblical crowds with pitchforks out there because this, how many times can you say it? Egregious. Absolutely egregious. So is anyone getting a nickname from this one? I don't know, Mope, the violator in this instance. There wasn't a French Inquisition ever, was there? Was that the Spanish Inquisition? I think you're confusing them with the Spanish. Okay, this could be the French one because it really was a full throttle invasion and a violation. Yeah, the the penetration of France, agreed. Eric Peters, maybe Mopé, remembered his trip to Amsterdam fondly. Some synapses fired quickly, was reminded of the amazing Dutch chocolate he had had in one of the cafes. Maybe he thought, boom, Eric Peters, but this is the most likely source of the Dutch chocolate that I crave so deeply. This one makes the most sense. I'm buying it.
Let's move through some other Premier League recaps quickly. Let's be disciplined, okay? Three things about each game. We won't keep track, but keep it concise. You watch this one a lot more closely than I did. So I'm going to pass the buck to you to bail me out. What are a few things that you looked at? Yeah, so the game in question is the Manchester United versus Leeds. Man, you won 4-2. Pretty entertaining game end-to-end. Here are my three things that really stuck out to me. First, Marcel Bielsa, so adamant about his press. I think at one point he actually started yelling at Cristiano Ronaldo, like, come on, press, 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 like we're going. And then realized like halfway through, oh, this... uh, this isn't Rodrigo. I confuse the teams. Like I'm just yelling at everyone on this field to press, and he just completely lost his head. Or maybe this is like a 4D chess and another false flag operation where he was saying it because he wanted to sound like Ragnick saying it, and he knew that would just piss off Ronaldo. Like, I fucking hate this guy that plays FIFA a ton. His American <laughs> assistant, who everyone's been calling Ted Lasso because they don't <laughs> respect him. Fuck off. You know I don't press. So maybe there were more mind games. Definitely some mind games going on here from Bielsa. The second thing I noticed was the cameramen were really struggling to get a shot of some Leeds fans that had more than 10 teeth. Like, they kept searching. They'd find one guy. They'd be like, he's got 15. Oh, that's a good one. Let's stay on him for a little bit. They move to the next guy. He's got two teeth. Oops, back to the 15-tooth guy. So... I, you know, I had faith they would find one, but it felt a little like searching for the needle in the haystack, you know, the lead stand with more than 10 teeth to their name. Maybe they saw a promising candidate who's in the middle of a full face, 180 degree turn. They're looking promising, but then they get to that left side and that's where the gingivitis is like really taken hold. Yes. Wreaked havoc, taken out like eight teeth. Yeah, I, I don't know a ton about the geography of England, but from my understanding, like London is, you know, close to mostly south, you know, pretty far down south. And then you got the Midlands and then you got Northern England. And I think as you work your way up England, the dentistry gets worse. So like the dentistry at the top is definitely not the well-known places you want to be going to. That makes sense. So Scotland, is it better there? Or is it like in the north of England, there in between outposts in the supply chain? So there's, they're too far. I think maybe far. it restarts the whole cycle of like, you know, more north, worse, you know. Yeah, Scotland, start, yeah. Scotland looks out for number one. They're looking out for the homies. So maybe Leeds just gets the scraps and they get the scraps from everyone. So it makes sense. Let's just prematurely apologize to all the Leeds supporters this week. We're sorry for how hard we've been on you. Not everyone has access to the great dental care. And to be fair, we're going to be hard on every club. At some point, we are going to offend a fan of any Premier League team. So just going to put that out there ahead of doing it. Last thing from this game, the two best players in the game from my perspective, Jaden Sancho, first of all. It was one of the first games I've watched of United where he stood out as the primary creator of this attack versus like Bruno or Pogba or someone else. Like He was connecting the play linking up with his teammates well, playing incredible key passes that, you know, he played three key passes, all three should have been an assist because they were literally tap-ins. I thought he was awesome this game. Joe Gelhart for Leeds. That thick thick boy. That thick, stocky boy. Subbed on at half. And can they please start this guy more? He was unbelievable. Wasn't involved a ton in terms of link-up play. I think he only had six completed passes, but... When he did get the ball, he looked so impressive. Here are his stats of the game. Three shots, two key passes, 
was fouled twice and won three duels. That's just unbelievable considering he only touched the ball really 10 times, which is better than Big Rom can say in Chelsea's game where he got seven. Oh, Big Rom played. I thought he was out. <laughs> you would have thought. You would have thought he was out based on his performance. I hardly even noticed him the entire game. But yeah. I'm, I'm excited about Joe Gilhart. This kid's only 19. I think he's going to be a total cult hero for Leeds going forward. It's cheap and easy to do, but he looks like a Wayne Rooney coming through the ranks. Like, smaller, yes. stockier, but also doesn't give a fuck. All right, quick congratulations to ourselves for keeping that relatively short and three things like we said we were going to do with this format. I want to throw it over to the Arsenal-Brentford game. I did not watch this one. I know you did in a little more depth. What stood out to you? First of all, I can't believe in the short history of this podcast, we've never been able to communicate like our affinity for Emil Smith-Rowe. And I think we're starting to make a name for ourselves, making names for other people. And so here, one of the big inspirations was Emile Smith-Rowe. But in an interview I watched, in his South London cool way, he's like, yeah, Emile Smith-Rowe, friends call me Ems. I took that like Paul Revere getting the scoop, beating Adam Schefter. And I've got to spread this message throughout the world, okay? Ems is the future. He is the truth. I love the long sleeves he wears because it's like he's got older sensibilities where he thinks modest is hottest, so he doesn't like to wear super like skin-tight clothing because he lets his game do the talking. And if you only love him for how the Arsenal kit fits his body, you don't deserve the goals that he gives. So in this game, he gave us typical M's. Came in, leading the break on the left-hand side, and violently wanted to get onto his right foot. Just took such tight angles to open up that space, hit it hard, bottom right, scored, did the knee slide, just culminating in why we love him. He is our M's. He's got to be the number one dream guest at this point. M's, we love you. You are this week's player of the week. Please come on. We'll get him on soon. I have full faith. I will tweet at him incessantly until he accepts this invitation. Maybe we can tap him into the Neil Mope incident. Yeah, I think he could give some good commentary on it. But yeah, it was a great goal by Ems. You could tell the entire time he just wanted to shoot. He was not passing that shit whatsoever. So great goal. Let's stick with our theme. Three things. What are your other two things from the game? So right after Ems scores, Arsenal's up 1-0. Play turns over quickly. Ball comes out to Thomas Partey. He's leading the counter, but you watch this. He did everything he could in his power to not spring. Much better, more creative, younger, faster players in on goal. God bless Bukayo Saka because he had accounted for this fact. He knew Partey would be a jackass. Waited for the ball to come to him. Pinnock was trying to close him out. How how else could we describe that goal other than an absolute piss missile? Hits the post, bar in. He played him way too late, but it was such a banger of a goal. I need to emphasize how much of a piss missile this was. I mean, he kicked this harder than Zuma kicked his cat. There was some anger behind the strike. It went post in. Absolutely incredible goal. Great shot by Saka. What's your third thing? Not really related to anything that happened in particular, but it is the one long-term Brentford view that I hold, and I'm holding till it goes to zero. Brian Mbomo, the French forward, usually plays alongside Ivan Toni in a front two. His stats don't match it. 
he must be one of the biggest underperformers when it comes to XG. But I think he's worth taking a flyer on this summer. If he's on the market, he's at least a 25 to $35 million player. Every time I watch them, he looks like the best player on the pitch, and it's not even close. He's so positive, so direct, such a good dribbler. Maybe not the heights of Liverpool, but definitely some Champions League, Europa League level teams could use him. And, and Brentford are going to accept an offer for 30 mil, 25 mil. Like, they're a money ball club. They're willing to sell for the right price. And I feel like that's all it would really take to get him out of there because he has not had the most impressive season ever. I'd be curious to know kind of what the book of interest looks like on him how many people are keeping tabs maybe in the summer everyone will have to reevaluate Brentford they love seeing those extra digit offers come in because you know they already have 10 people hell they've got 50 people on the wait list that they're so excited to begin negotiations with to replace him 100% I think that's probably a good spot to move on from the Arsenal Brentford game let's take it elsewhere in Europe though because there was a lot of European competition this week I'll say it. Fuck the Champions League. This is a Europa League podcast. This is an ECL podcast. You have other places to follow up on those things. You probably watch them yourselves. We don't think we know anything more. Not that we know anything about anything that we talk about, but especially when it comes to Champions League, we don't think the value prop is there. But boy, did we love Europa League and ECL this week. We do. First game I want to talk about was... The Celtic game versus Bodo Glimpse in the ECL. Two teams we really love to kind of keep up with and follow their players. I just want to start this out and say to Celtic, shame on you. You decide not to start Rio Hatate. I couldn't imagine why that would be in your decision-making process, but this is what happens. You get destroyed by Bodo Glimpse almost immediately. And then when you finally realize your mistake and sub him on and he changes the entire game, it's, it's too little too late. I don't know if they were trying to avoid the reliance they've already built. Like, Rio Atate is a drug. As far as anyone is concerned, once you have him see his benefits, you're pretty much hooked. So, and Postagoglu, seen a lot of clubs. He's seen something like this happen before. So, for a big game, he thought, hey, I want to try to make sure these other players in his positions are ready and we're not over-relying on Hatate. If things get bad, maybe we go down a goal. We can always bring him on, but best case is we come out on the front foot, score some goals, say fuck you to the Norwegians, go back to Scandinavia, and Hatate gets another day of rest. That did not happen. So that was one major component pre-match. Another thing that probably had a bigger effect on Celtic's performance in this game, I'm responsible for. So I had the game on to my left during work. The team's huddling up. One last inspiration. Joe Hart probably saying some crazy shit that no one understands. But I had goosebumps. Seeing that team, I'm sure Ange just got them riled up in the locker room. I knew they were ready to have a freaking performance in front of the home supporters. And I knew in that moment, Celtic, this is one of my teams. One of many. One of many, all right? There's the American plastic caveat there. But I said... I identify with this team. This is how I used to feel about my favorite sports teams growing up. That was apparent in the first 10 minutes. So I definitely cursed them in this game. Did any other players stand out to you? Any of our new Japanese arrivals? Matt O'Reilly? I would say Matt O'Reilly definitely stood out. The other new midfielder in this team. He's at the 
heart of everything good that they do. He receives dangerous balls and then plays incredible passes all over the pitch, has a wand of a left foot, way overused phrase, but we love to say it nonetheless. He stood out to me for the right reasons. Cameron Carter-Vickers stood out to me for the wrong reasons. I know Celtic stands love this guy, but I'm just not really buying his stock. And I would be concerned if Cameron thick boy Carter Vickers is the long-term plan at center back for Celtic. What do you think? I think he's too chunky to be cut out for the top tier. Oh, you might be right. Honestly, after this performance, because after the Rangers derby, I was standing this big man thinking, how is he playing week in and week out for these European legends? My team, one of many, Celtic. How is he not getting a look in for Greg Berhalter? We got Manbun and Miles Robinson, old ass Tim Ream at the back. How is this guy not getting a look in? I think I might have to give credit to Greg Berhalter after this performance. We saw some of the things that make him less desirable as a long-term defensive asset. For example, in addition to just being gawky, he is very big. His thighs, his calves are very large. And while that helps to block shots sometimes, it also kind of works in the reverse because he's always close and big enough to have the ball just cushion off his smooth body and take these awesome deflections. So it's a paradox that I'm still trying to work out. Is he good or should he have been like going the opposite direction when Matt O'Reilly came from MK Dons? Very fair. And I think, you know, we were shitting on him for being a little bit on the thicker side, but that could be his best asset, how good he is at blocking shots. I mean, who knows? Maybe that's something that the scouting department has been looking into and something they identified in him. Yeah, I think we've been a little harsh on Cameron Carter-Vickers, but he is a smooth passer at the back. He is really physical. He uses that big donk of his very well most of the time. And it's a big asset in Scotland where that's like the number one game. Yeah, absolutely. I heard rumors from inside the club that they actually, they have insurance on his ass specifically. Mentioned it earlier, but nicknames, that's going to be one of our big things that we bring to the world. What do you have teed up for him? You thought about this one, went through a lot of the options. Where did we end up? Yeah, I think I landed on Big Boonda. If you don't know what Boonda is, it's a... slang term for a nice round ass and i think camera car vickers is the og big boonda so that's it you heard it here first big boonda coming to a scottish town near you soon i think in the end all the credit really goes to bodo glimp they were out of season they're six months behind us or in front of us but they had three tune-up games against kind of modest Scandinavian opposition. They're not in season, and they came to Celtic Park and put on a performance. Tiki-taka shit, beating Celtic at their own progressive game. I think it was maybe Celtic looking past Bodo Glimt. Maybe it's just one of those games that doesn't go the right way. So we will be in Celtic's corner throughout it all. And I I sent a comeback in the second leg. We're going to go to Norway and get a much-needed result. Yes, we'll be with them through good times and bad. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie! Oi, oi, oi! To all the listeners, if you exist, let us know. Follow us on Twitter at Faking Injuries. We've got a very experienced social media team firing out the most intrusive but important journalistic memes, I think, in the business right now. So give us a follow when necessary and we need backup. Be ready to swarm.
because we're going to need it. We're going to be tackling some important issues and get to the bottom of Eric Peters, just like Neil Mope. So thank you, everyone. Appreciate all the support. And we'll be back at it next week. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye.